Well, good morning. You know, at my house, one of the shows that we love to watch together as a family is something called American Pickers. And there's three folks on it. There's two guys, Frank and Mike, and what they do is they drive around in this cool white van and they go and look at people's treasures. And there's a girl named Danielle who is a super cool looking chick. I really like her. And she kind of mans the storefront. And so what will happen is sometimes, because people watch the show, they'll call into Danielle and say, hey, listen, if Mike and Frank are going to be on my side of the world, tell them to swing by. I think I have some stuff they might want to see. And what never ceases to amaze me is the places that Mike and Frank go to and they find, it's not just the people just have like a closet full of stuff to show. It's not even that they just have one garage full of stuff to show. It is usually multiple garages or actually, some of them actually have like these warehouse type buildings. And as I was watching a show this week, I thought to myself, from what the gentleman had in his multiple warehouses, it was very easy for me to see what had his affection, what had his heart. And we're in the middle of a series called Get Rich. And one of the things that we want to be clear about is we want to teach you what it looks like to be rich and to get rich from God's perspective. And this morning, Paul has a specific word for us to help us make sure that our affection and that our heart is always pointed in the right direction. And that direction is towards Christ. And before we jump in, let me open us up in a word of prayer. Father, I just thank you for these hearts that are here and man, I just, um, I just confess in front of all of them, God, that I don't have what it takes to do this or to deliver this this morning, but I know that you do. Would you show up in a mighty way? Would you speak to every single person in this room, God, so that when they walk out, they would not only know that they have heard from you, God, but they would have the courage to walk in the things that you've spoken to them. God, we love you. Thank you for all that you're doing in us, through this church and in this community. We're so grateful we get to be a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, last week, we started off this series in 1 Timothy it's chapter 6, and I want to start out here and just review verses 6, 7, and 8 real quick. It starts out this way. Now, there is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Now, last week, James taught us that the first step into getting rich is this idea that it's contentment plus godliness. When those things meet, that's a starting point for getting rich. And I love where we're going today because it, it just feels like something that I do at my own home. Because Paul's taking a moment in the next two verses just to say, hey, I want to tell you something to be cautioned about. I want you to pay attention to this. Because in this whole idea of getting rich and learning what being rich matters in God's economy, this one thing we're going to talk about today that Paul's going to teach us could trip us up. And it makes me laugh because that's exactly how I am at my house with my kids. Right, when I want to teach them a truth, I start out with the truth, but somewhere in the teaching I say, but be careful because this is what the world's going to tell you. Or be careful because this actually could trip you up and cause you to fall off course. And as I was preparing for this message, something began to happen on Monday and Tuesday, and by Wednesday, it was very apparent what God was saying to me. Now, I 
always want to be somebody who stands up here and who is honest and full of integrity in front of all of y'all. And I want to do that because I feel like God calls me to do that. But I also want to do that because I have two kids that are in one of the four services we have here. And they live with me day in and day out. And if I say something to you that's not true, they will call me on it in the New York Minute. So on Wednesday, when I saw what God was telling me about me, I had to go to both my kids. And this is what I said. Hey, you should know something about this Sunday. I'm teaching on greed. I have discovered, thank you to God, that I am going to be the greediest person in the room come Sunday. And I want you to know that when I get up there to teach about greed, your mother is not teaching to somebody who's got this thing figured out and in the bag. I'm teaching as somebody who's learning along the way. But I want to make sure you know that I know that I'm greedy. And I want you to know that God is talking to me and giving me some steps to take. So I want to make sure I told you all that before I get started. Now I want to jump right into verse 9. And this is what Paul writes. He says, when it comes to being greedy, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So I began to think when I read this first, what are some things, some lies that we believe that can lead us into greed? And so let me share with you a couple, because I've done all of these. The first one is this. How many of us have ever thought, well, um, if I just work really hard in my 20s, then by the time of my 30s, I can just stop worrying about working so hard and getting money and getting stuff. Because if you are over 30, you know that's not how it works, right? Because in your 20s, you start this pattern of acquiring money and jobs and wanting to continue to go up the ladder and raise your income and get possessions. You find that by the time your 30s roll around, it's possible that you have more people you're responsible for and more bills to pay. And all of a sudden, you're kind of stuck in this cycle. And this is one of the lies that can lead us to greed. Here's another one. You know what? Nobody else is helping me take care of myself. I'm the ultimate provider. I mean, how many of us have thought that? Hey, you know what? i got to work really hard because nobody else is giving me a handout. Nobody else is helping make sure that my bills get paid. And that's not true. But we think that. And what happens is it sets us on a pattern to continually maybe work all the time, maybe constantly be thinking about our finances, maybe figuring out how we can get the next great big thing. Here's another one. Well, if so-and-so has it, then I need it. And we start thinking, well, if they can afford it, I should be able to afford it. And we start comparing. I was reading this week online, and it was an article in the Huffington Post, and it was this term called lifestyle creep. And I could really see this. And this is how it works. You go and you know you need a new pair of pants, so you buy a new pair of pants. And then when you get home and you put them on with the shoes you thought you were going to wear them with, you start thinking, wow, I really need some different shoes. And then you get you some shoes, and you now you have your shoes and your pants on, and then the next thing you know, you think, you know what would really be great is if I could get a shirt new to go with this. And so all of a sudden, what started out as one purchase has now rolled into three purchases. And I can look back over our life as a married couple, and I remember what we managed to live off of when we first got married. Because I don't know about y'all, but we didn't start out with a lot. And so I, I look back on that, and I think, wow how we have allowed lifestyle creep to come into our life. Because what I once perceived to be a luxury, somehow over time, it's become a necessity. And that is how tricky greed is. 
the lies that lead us into greed. Here's another one. Hey, I got to get mine while we're here all that I can so I can live as comfortably as I possibly can and I can be happy. See, the problem with this lie is it doesn't at all think about an eternal perspective. It's all about the here and now, not the then and there. And our perspective is not on, hey, what does God want me to do in this season for his kingdom or his glory? But it's more about what do we want to do in this season for our kingdom and our glory? And we talked about this last week. The problem with this is we learned that being rich is from the inside out, not the outside in. And so when we look at this verse in chapter 9, verse 9, excuse me, in chapter 6, what exactly happens to us when we desire to be rich? And here's something that happens. He says you get led into temptation. And for me, this is what it looks like. When I begin to start thinking of something I want to acquire or making more of something, all of a sudden, the question becomes, who are you going to serve? Luke 16, 13 reads this way. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And I begin to think about this in terms of us. Like when we're thinking about, man, trying to get stuff and money, how it totally railroads and directs our attention to that thing that we're after. Now, Christmas is around the corner, and I thought about when my kids were two years old. I don't know about you, but there's always this list that comes out about September, and it's, it's full of the it toys. So if you have a toddler, this is the one toy your toddler has to have kind of list, right? Now, I'm a pretty focused and driven person. So when I see the it toy, my goal is to get the it thing for my kid. And so I literally, I, I've, I've called into my parents' help. I've gotten them, them involved. You go to this Walmart. I'm going to go here. Here's what we're going to do. I map a whole strategy out because I want to get this thing for my kid. I want you to know my children will probably have to go to counseling because of my parenting. But it will not be dependent on whether they got that it toy from Christmas when they were two years old. You see, I just not even thinking about it. That was my greed. And I became focused on that. And that became where all of my attention went to. And then Paul says, you know what? When you desire to be rich, you can fall into a snare. And a snare is literally a trap. And when we get literally trapped and our ankle gets stuck in this trap of wanting more, of desiring more money, more possessions, we unintentionally don't even realize it, but we rob ourselves of losing all the things that God has for us as believers in Christ that could have been and should have been. Warren Wiersbe describes it this way. This verse describes a person who has to have more and more, more money, more material things in order to be happy and feel successful. Riches are a trap and they lead to bondage, not freedom. Instead of giving satisfaction, riches create additional lust. And these lusts and desires, they must be satisfied. King Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 5.10, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. I mean, how many of us in here can totally identify with that? I mean, aren't we always like planning ahead for when we get our next raise or when the next big commission comes in or the next big deal because then we can do this? We usually have it spent before we ever actually see it. And here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, whenever 
anything takes our attention, our focus, our heart away from Christ, every single time, it will lead to ruin and it will lead to destruction. That is true in my life and that is true in your life. And as I was thinking about this whole idea of greed, and I began on Monday, I was talking to God about this whole thing and greed and what it looked like in, in my life, and this was before he lowered the boom. Um, I literally just heard this one word, and he said, shoes. I have a lot of shoes. And I wonder what you have a lot of that you don't ever use. Maybe you have, if you're a man, you have lots of toys or yard equipment, or maybe you're an outdoor enthusiast, or may, and you have tons of outdoor stuff. You can't use all of it at all. Or maybe you're a musician, you have a gazillion guitars. John Piper defines greed as the desire to keep more than you need. You see, if you have more than you need, it's because there are so many in need. And we spend so much of our time on the here and now that we forget that we're not here for our comfort or our glory, but we're here for His. And to reach those people near us that are far from God. Now Paul goes on in verse 10, and he says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through these cravings that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with pangs. Now this term, love of money, in the Greek it means this. It means extreme desire for wealth or material gain. And if we're honest, who in here hasn't ever struggled with that? Of wanting just a little bit more. Now Paul's not saying that money is bad, it's evil. And he's not saying possessions are evil. But he's saying the love of them is what is evil and trips us up. Now, last week, James talked about the prosperity gospel. And this is a gospel that some people teach, and it goes like this. It says that God wants to bless you with more money. And if God isn't blessing you with more money, then you must be in sin. And James told every one of us in here last week that we do not at all support that or believe in that. Because here's the deal. We love God because of what he did for us on the cross, not because he can give us more money. We serve him because of what he gave us through Jesus, not because... He can give us more money. But James wanted to make sure that I let you guys know about another gospel that some people teach. And it's the poverty gospel. In the poverty gospel, it says this. It says that God wants you to suffer. He wants you to give all your money away. And if you're rich and you have money, you must be in sin. And the trouble with this is it makes the assumption that rich people are evil people. And that's not true because we can look at the life of Abraham. And we can clearly see somebody who was very wealthy and who loved God. We can look at several people throughout the Bible who are righteous and rich at the same time, and they use their money for the kingdom, for God's glory. So the issue is not money, the issue is not possessions, but it is the love of them that trips us up. Now John Piper says this, he says, it's not a sin to make a lot of money, it's a sin to keep a lot of money. And Paul goes on, he says in this verse, 10. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the, pay, the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And let me explain to you what this word craving means, because it just really is, this is a great picture of what it means. Um, last weekend, I had the privilege of getting to serve in the two and three-year-old room at 5 p.m. And it happened to be dress-up day. So they were all in their cute little costumes. And there was this one little boy who was dressed as Jake the Pirate from the Disney Channel. And he had this really cool light-up sword. And he was engrossed at this truck car table that we have upstairs, and he was playing. So when we called all the children to come for snack, Jake the Pirate did not come. So we went over and we said, hey, Jake, you don't want any snack? And he, sa and he said, no. And he just kept playing. And this one little boy at the snack table with the other 12 kids, he just looked at me and he said, don't you know, pirates don't eat snacks. 
And I thought, wow. And it got me thinking, as I'm getting ready to tell you where I'm going, that if you are somebody in this room and you have a teenager, you need to go serve in our preschool ministry. And here is why. Because if you're a teenager, you're probably at some point going to be in a season where you don't even remember your kid being that cute. And your biggest goal is just not to kill them. And so it was like in that moment last week, I just remembered my children being two and three and how cute they were, and it just kind of restored my faith. So it was a really big win. But this whole idea that Paul's talking about as far as craving is this. It's just like my child, and I have two of them, so either one of them did this, I can tell you that. I love to cook, and they would come in the kitchen when I would cook. And they would see that I was messing with a pan on the stove, and so, of course, they would want to mess with a pan on the stove. And so when I would turn around to the refrigerator to grab something out, they would get right next to the stove, and they would get up on their tippy toes, and they would reach as far as they could. And they would usually make that, uh, uh, because they wanted to be to get that. But what they did not know is what was in there was hot, 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 and it was going to burn them. And Paul is saying this type of craving for rich that we want to have more money, to have more things. It's that same type of kind of craving. And what we don't realize is the very thing we're craving is going to lead us to destruction and ruin. It will lead us to pangs of just piercing pain in our whole body and in our life. And we'll lose out on the very thing that God has for us. Now I want to look at three things really quick that are true about greed. The first one is this. Greed is always about me, and it's never about need. Greed is always about me, and never about need. And I don't know how you do it at your house or in your life, but when you decide you want that thing, that's not a need, so it's a greed. How do you rationalize it? You know, maybe um, you want to redo the inside of your house, so you might say something like to yourself or to your spouse, hey, you know what? I really don't want our kids to be embarrassed about having kids, their friends over to our house, so we should totally re-carpet and repaint and maybe get a few new pieces of furniture. Right? In fact, it's actually a joke at our house. When we think of something that we greed, because it's not a need, we'll usually like come with the greed, and it'll be something like, and at the very end of my whole pitch of this thing that I want, I'll be like, and I really feel like our children will love Jesus more if they go to Hawaii right? Because that's what we're, we're pitching. Because here's the deal. Greed's always about me, but I'm trying to make it about somebody else. So it seems really spiritual, right? Like I'm, I will suffer and go to Hawaii so my children can see another side of Jesus, right? Not true. But it's always about me and it's never about a need. Here's another one. Greed is a sign of closed fisted living, not open handed giving. Here's this quote. Greed is supported by an endless cast of what ifs. Greedy people can never have enough to satisfy the need they feel in light of every conceivable eventuality. See, it's this idea that we can't help or give stuff away because we may need it. Well, what if I need that one day? Or what if I give them money? What if I can't pay my bills or I can't buy new tires for my car when they, when they go out? Now, I need to tell you, I just um, happen to be married to a guy um, who's really good at living like this. And I am the person in the family that lives like this. I'm the what-ifer. What if we do that? What if this happens? What will we do? Right? And so early in our marriage, um, I began to see this, this trend. And I just want to tell you, if you, are not, if you live like this and you live with someone like this, it can really be exhausting sometimes. Right? It can wear you out. 
And so I'll never forget, we, we were married, and we just didn't have a lot. And somehow, for a dryer, Glenn managed to get his hands on a 20-year-old avocado green dryer. It was horrible. But it worked for a time. But then, all of a sudden, the thermostat went out. And I, we did a little bit of research and discovered, I guess because it was such an older model, that it really would just be a better purchase to just buy a new one. But see, we didn't have money laying around, so that required us to save for not a couple weeks, but for months. So we were almost there. And then he comes home from work. And one of our employees, he found out, they don't have a greed, they have a need. Like a shelter type of power kind of need. And if we're going to meet their greed, their need, I'm going to have to take money from this dryer account that we've been setting aside to meet that need. And here's the deal. I didn't have to pray about that. I knew what the right thing to do was. Because I want to live like this. But it was so hard for me in that moment. And I want you to know, it was hard for years after. And I just, I'm a little competitive. And it just felt like in my marriage that he was looking more like Jesus than I was. So I thought about it, and part of it was is he had no trouble identifying needs because he didn't live in the land of what if. I'm always like, well, what if we do that? Will we have money for groceries? What if always, that's how I lived. So I went to him one day, and I said, I have this idea. I said, what if we just set aside money from our budget into this account? And when God brings across a need, we will pray about it and ask him, if that is a need he wants us to meet. And if he does, then we will know where the money is at to meet the need. But in the process, it will teach me how to live like this. Because I had already budgeted without that money, and I was free to live like this because I knew that money was set aside for something separate. And I want to tell you, since we have made that change in our finances, I, I, I live like this all the time. Even if a need comes and we don't have enough money in that account, I'm still free to live like this because here's what I know. Philippians 4.19, that my God will supply every need of mine according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You see, fear is what motivated me all those years to live like this. And I would act as though I was, like, we were the providers. And that's contrary to what the Bible says. He says, hey, I'm, I own it all. I'm the provider. Everything you need, I've got for you. So you feel free, Susie, to live like this. You feel free every time. You know, in fact, even the Old Testament, he's called Jehovah Jireh. He's God, our provider. And sometimes we can find ourselves putting our faith not in his provision, but we put it in our own to provide for our families. And God wants us to live like this. And I'll tell you, people that I have known that don't live like this, they live like this, open-handed, giving kind of lifestyle, they're the happiest people I know. But man, those people I know that can't give anything away, they hoard it, they own just unbelievable amounts of stuff that they have to go and rent a, a storage space, man, they're never happy. They're never happy. But I will say this, one thing to be careful of when it comes to greed and this is why I think small groups are so important. And I have found this to be true for me. When it comes to greed, it's really hard to find the appropriate switch to turn it off. Because once what used to be a necessity, luxury now is a necessity for you to function, 
it just this whole desire, appetite to have more and more and more and more. And I, I really, I'm not one of those people that can come off and just slowly wane off of stuff. When it comes to greed, and I recognize it in my life, I have to make some decisions that make me go cold turkey and step right back. Here's number three. Greed is idolatry. I love this verse in Proverbs. It's chapter 1, verse 19. It says, So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. Isn't that true? When it comes to greed, man, it just becomes this idol for us. And we spend all of our energy trying to meet that desire for whatever it is we want more of. And in those moments, all of a sudden, it literally owns our entire life. You know, something else about greed, it's a form of self-indulgence. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I was doing some research, and I just started thinking, you know what, it really is. Because greed's always about me. And it's always about what I want to do for me and how I want to indulge me. I'm never thinking about when I'm in the process of wanting to acquire something or make more money. I'm never thinking about how it's going to affect my neighbor. You know, I love that we took money up several weeks ago for those families that are fleeing ISIS. I just love that because that's the kind of stuff that matters. That's the kind of stuff I just know when we give, I mean, it just pleases the heart of God because there's nothing about that type of giving that's greedy. And every time we make choices to give like that and to be generous and to think of others that maybe are in trouble or have less, we break the hold of greed on our heart. Now, Mark 10, a man went up to Jesus and he said, Jesus, tell me this, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at him and he said, well, you know, you need to do the commandments. You know them. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the man looked at Jesus and he said, teacher, I have kept all of those from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And what I love about this is that Jesus pointed out the young man's problem, and it was greed. And the man could not follow Christ because he was so busy following his money. As I was studying it, something that just came, came up in my heart was just this idea that if we're not careful, we can get trapped with this idea that we are our possessions. That those things that we drive, those places, those houses we live in, those clothes that we wear, that they define us. And here's what I want to tell you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the only thing that gets to define you is Him. And if we're not careful, we will accept a cheap imitation. When a couple of years ago, about five or six, I'll never forget this. We were in a season where we were kind of acquiring stuff. Real estate. It was back in 2006, 2007, I guess. And the real estate market had begun to turn. And we got this letter. We love students. And we love it when students send us letters that they're going on a mission trip. When we just love that, we think that serving Jesus in different countries is just really amazing and a good thing for everyone to do. 
And so we love to support that. And so Glenn gets a letter, and we, in particular, are very close to the student. And I'll never forget, because Glenn had a number that he wanted to give this person. But because we had been greedy, see, we were so busy saving for our future that we weren't giving for the future. He couldn't give the number he wanted to give. And I'll never forget, we're in our kitchen. He said, Susie, we don't own our stuff. Our stuff now owns us. And if God calls us to give to someone, we need to be in a position financially that we are ready to do that no matter what. And he said, I am tired of this, and it's changing now. And I want you to know, we began a plan to unload real estate, to make sure that we were free to do whatever God called us to do when it comes to giving out to other people. Look at this quote from Andy Stanley. What you fear most will determine whether you will save for the future or give for the future. And see, after this point, we had been saving for our future. And what we realized seven years ago was, man, we better be given for the future. We better be given in such a way that we have an opportunity to impact people's lives, to make sure that Jesus gets known, not just in our town, not just in my neighborhood, but around the world. Because if we're not careful, we won't even mean to, but we'll end up investing this lifetime in things that don't matter. And they have no, no, no lasting value. And you know what the answer to greed is? It's simply more of Christ's presence. Every time. Because when I make sure and I spend time with him, more of his presence, it defines me the way he wants to define me that's true. And it reminds me that I have everything I need. So I don't have to live like this. I'm free to live like this. You know, Proverbs 4.23 reads this way. It says, guard your heart above all else, for out of it flow the springs of life. And when we spend more time in Christ's presence, and we walk out with him what's going on in our heart, these things that have us stuck, maybe these, these greeds that we're struggling with, when we do that, I am telling you, we allow him to heal him, us and do an amazing thing in our hearts. And it gives us freedom to live like this and to not be in bondage. And here's why this is so important for us to get. Because if we're not careful, those things other than Christ that we set our affections on, and they will destroy us and they will ruin us. And they can lead us away from the faith. And here's the deal. I've known people that loved Jesus 20 years ago. And they somehow got stuck in this place of wanting more and wanting to make more. And if you see them today, they would tell you they still love God. But they're not involved in a local church. They don't serve. They don't give. But they're so trapped in all of this stuff they have going on to acquire more. And they don't even realize how their affections have completely changed from Jesus to all of their kingdom that they have grown. You see, Paul, he wants us to know to get rich. Be careful. Pay attention to what your heart is setting itself on. Because in the end, if anything is causing you to look away from Christ, it will always lead to your destruction and to your ruin. 
You know, one of the things that um, God's been working on my heart, and I, I'm not clear of all that he's talking to me about, but I've been spending a lot of time thinking about the, the church and who's going to lead the next generation and what does that look like. And, and I've been praying for my kids, and we went a couple of weeks ago to a, to a conference here in Atlanta, and I, I was praying for my kids three specific things. And I had prayed before I went to this conference, God, I want a word from you. Don't let me leave there without hearing a word from you. And it was so funny because I remember walking in the second day and as I was praying for my kids, these three things, this is what I heard the Holy Spirit say. Susie, why don't you make sure you have those three things going on in your life instead of spending so much time worrying about your kids having them? Why don't you get it right and you model it to them? And I remember in that moment, I thought, next time I'm going to ask for a nice word. But... But I, I love that because just like this week when he talked to me because he knows I've had issues with greed before and he wants me to get it right. But here's the deal. If being rich is godliness plus contentment, then I need to do all I can to make sure that nothing gets in the way of that. And every time my desire is for more money and for greed will do that. And i got to be mindful if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're an aunt, if you know somebody. Man, we got to be careful what we're walking out in front of them. One of my favorite quotes is this. Your greatest contribution to the kingdom may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Someone you speak into. Because we need our students that are in the room now to be in a place where they can lead the church later. And I'm so glad that the Lord called me on this again this week. Because my kids, he's going to have to do a lot of straightening out on them because of me. But here's what I know. I don't want this to be one of them. Because greed is always about me and it's never about need. Greed is always about closed-fisted living and not open-handed giving. And greed is always an idolatry. And the reason this is so important that Paul shared this with us is because God wants something for us, not from us. And I'm someone that has lived with a lot of debt, and we made decisions to get out of that debt. And I can tell you, it is freedom, God's way. It is freedom to live like this. It is freedom to know, hey, no matter what you ask me to do, God, I know you're going to provide. Because God wants something for us and not from us. Let me pray for us. God, we just love you, and I just thank you that the very thing that you caution us on through Paul in this letter, God, that you give us the ability to have victory over. God, I pray for every person here, God, that you would keep our lives free from the love of money, that we'd be content with what we have, and that we would continually remember that you are always with us, that you never leave us. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.